it wouldn't be an exaggeration to say that this has been an interesting week for our community, for our country, uh, for the world. And so we want to stop for a moment. And I want to invite everybody just to take a deep breath. This is sacred space that we are in right now. It is time to give thanks. In all things, we give thanks. We give thanks to God for the life that we have, the breath that we have. And while churches all over the world may not be gathering in their buildings, we need to remember that church is never closed. Church cannot be called off. We are the church. And this morning we gather in homes and online in the spirit to give thanks to God, the God of all creation, the God of all time, the God of all space, the God of all healing, the God of all hope, the God of all mercy. So in that knowledge, breathe and receive. The theologian Michael Gorman said the church is to be a living exegesis of the gospel. And friends, I have to tell you, we are made for times just like this. This is where we, as the church, as Grace Church, get to truly live out what we confess in times of ease and comfort, practice what we declare as true, make that real. This is where we get to be that living exegesis or explanation, demonstration, witness of the good news. You see, the most often repeated command in the Bible is do not fear, do not worry. More than any other single instruction, this is the word, this is the command of the prophets of Jesus, of the apostles, do not worry, do not fear. But worry doesn't mean ignoring science. It doesn't mean flouting responsibility to civic instruction or dismissing the concerns of others. That is why we are gathering as we are this morning. We are part of society. We all belong to one another. And we are part of this community in particular. And so by respecting those instructions and looking out for those who are weaker, we choose as witness to gather like this. We'll be staying with this for our Sunday format for some time until it's reasonable and responsible to start gathering again together. But also, we're going to take this opportunity to really examine how we can best be salt and light in this world. This is a tremendous opportunity for us to take time to reassess, to reevaluate, and to gird up for what is to come. We can do this, y'all. We can do this. The church has flourished in much more difficult situations than this. We will flourish now. Not just get by, not just make it through, not just muddle through, but we will actually flourish as a church in this time. 
But to flourish, we have to focus on Jesus more than ever. I don't know about the rest of you, but I have had a hard time focusing over these past few days. I, I thought with all the extra time at home, I would be able to do these things, sit down, and usually what I find myself is just incessantly checking for the next news update. It's been difficult to focus on anything but that. This will pass. And we will learn to discipline ourselves, even in the midst of these times, more and more on Jesus. And that is what will lead to our flourishing. You see, because Jesus offers us the ultimate clarity in times of confusion. If you want to know the source, if you want to know the truth, if you want to know how to be and to think, we need to look to Jesus during these times. Well, let's, let's look at the text. We're reading from Mark chapter 10, verse 32. If you're following along with your computer, the NET Bible, the NET version is what we're reading from. It has some terrific notes there. But this is what it says, starting in verse 32. They were on their way, going to Jerusalem. Jesus was going ahead of them. And they were amazed, but those who followed were afraid. Afraid of what? Afraid of who? My guess is Jesus kept defying their expectations that following Jesus was a way to power, prestige, privilege. You see, I think the followers, they wanted to conquer, and he keeps telling them they need to serve others. They want glory, he keeps telling them to humble themselves. They are looking for the good life, and he keeps telling them, well, this is what he tells them. He says he took the twelve aside and began to tell them what was going to happen to him. Look, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priest and experts in the law. They will condemn him to death and will turn him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, spit him, flog him severely, and kill him. Yet after three days, he will rise again. I would say that that's not exactly one's life goal when you start following someone, is to be flogged, mocked, spit on, and killed. So I can understand their fear. It's natural. Well, it goes on and he says, Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him and said, Teacher, we want you to do, what us, do for us whatever we would ask. I love this. I love this. I love the audacity of James and John. It's like, I love the way it shows their hearts, the way they think they can pull one over on Jesus, like they haven't learned they can do that. They can't do that yet. Now, they ain't pulling nothing over Jesus, but Jesus plays along. He says to them, what do you want me to do for you? They said to him, permit one of us to sit at your right hand and the other on your left in glory. But Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I experience? They said to him, we are able. Then Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink. And you will be baptized with the baptism I experience, but to sit at my right or at my left is not mine to give. It is for those who it has been prepared. And while Jesus might have engaged in their subtle subterfuge with a wink, he responds with stone-cold sobriety. He tells them, indeed, they will experience what Jesus is personifying. <clears throat> but like Jesus... And like us, ultimately their fate lies in the hands of the Father and the Father's hands alone. 
Picking up at verse 41, it says, Now when the other ten heard this, they became angry with James and John. I imagine the one who was really angry was Peter. Because Peter's usually hanging out with James and John. They're like the three amigos. And then all of a sudden, James and John cut him out and go looking for power. I imagine Jesus was at the head of this crew. Or Peter was at the head of this crew. And Jesus called them and said to them, You know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And those in high position use their authority over them. But it is not this way among you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. Friends, there may be no single greater signifier of the difference between Christianity and other religions and philosophies. The difference between Jesus and other gods and gurus than this. This statement. Jesus comes to serve. To sacrificially lay down his life for us. And it is in in that imitation that we become like Jesus. We cannot be Christians and not serve. It is simply impossible. It is antithetical to the whole being, essence of who Jesus is, what Jesus teaches. Serving is not an option. And that's why at times like these, I'm genuinely excited because those opportunities become more clear. They come into more focus how we can do that. Well, to make sure that they don't miss out on the lesson, look what Jesus does next. Watch this. He goes, they came to Jericho, and as Jesus and his disciples in a large crowd were leaving Jericho, Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, a blind beggar, was sitting by the road. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth, Jesus of Nazarene, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many scolded him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called the blind man and he said to them, have courage, get up, he is calling you. He threw off his cloak, jumped up and came to Jesus. Then Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do for you? The blind man replied, Rabbi, let me see again. Jesus said to him, go forth, your faith has healed you. Immediately he regained his sight and followed him on the road. Now, this in and of itself, this healing is important, but when we see it in the context of what, it immediately comes bef- of what immediately comes before it, we understand that there is a clear contrast being given here between the question that James and John ask and the question, indeed, all the disciples have been asking about who am I, where do I rank, how do I become great? We've talked about this a lot. Ryan Jackson did a fantastic job last week talking about the paradoxes that Jesus present, presents with this. But we need to understand and contrast here. What do the disciples ask Jesus for and what does Bartimaeus ask for? You see, because both were blind in their own ways. The disciples blind to the kingdom and to Jesus and in a way much more blind than Bartimaeus. The disciples boldly but blindly asking for their own privilege as compared with Bartimaeus, blindly but humbly begging for mercy. And in the end, the disciples get their sight adjusted just as much as Bartimaeus does. Takes the disciples longer, but they eventually get eyes to see. 
Bartimaeus gets it instantly. You see, Jesus grants us mercy, not privilege. So what does all this mean for us in the age of COVID-19? In the age of the coronavirus, quarantine, stock market crashes and rushes, empty shelves, shuttered schools, Divided and dysfunctional governments, segregated societies, and the threat of significant social disruption. What does this word mean? Why, why are we even doing this? What possible effect could sitting and reading this ancient text have when we are facing such disruption? What does the word mean? What does Jesus offer, and what good is the church for? Well, as I said earlier, we have to understand church can never be canceled. The church is, the church has been, and the church will be because the church is ultimately the church of Jesus. It's not our church. This is God's church. We are God's people. We are the followers of Jesus Christ. And we are called to serve and to lay down our lives for others as well. And this will become more clear in times of disruption like this. You see, after the fall, this is what we have to fight. After the fall, this scarcity mindset became our default pattern for thinking. That's why in the most, the richest country, one of the richest countries in the world, one that has the most access to the most stuff, we're filling our trunks with toilet paper. We're clearing the shelves of soup stock. Can you imagine? Can you imagine us? America. Can you imagine us in Northwest Arkansas, 30 minutes from the world's largest retailer? We drive by warehouses full of goods on our way to work and to school every day, and we feel like we have to hoard. We have to be driven by fear. We have to be driven by scarcity. This is the lie that drives us apart now. This is the lie that has driven us apart throughout history, is that there's not enough that we have to get ours first, and then maybe, maybe think about others later. And Jesus defies all this. Jesus defies that thinking and has come to set us free from that thinking. Make no mistake, friends, in this, even in this season of social distancing, we need to come closer together than ever as a church. Closer in heart, closer in mind, closer in spirit, and closer in commitment to one another. We have more than enough. We have more than enough just in the practical and the physical. It's just, it's just obvious by the way we live, obvious by the access we have to things. But more, much more deeper and much more important than that, we have enough in God. We have a ruler who is sufficient to care for us. We have a master who is sufficient to provide for us. I'm reminded of how Peter writes about in Jesus Christ, we have everything that we need for life and for godliness. That is a promise for us today. Is we do not, we must not operate from fear, from the scarcity mindset, from othering people. Ultimately, I believe this crisis 
empowers new creativity. I know it sounds crazy, but I am honestly excited about the opportunities this provides for us, for us as a church, as a culture, for individuals to re-examine our priorities, to unleash a creative imagination, to address the things that drag us down, tear us apart. I believe this crisis powers new imagination and motivation to belong, become, and believe. You see, fear doesn't keep us safe. I want to say that again. Fear does not keep you safe. Whether we're drunk on fear or drunk on denial, we're still drunk. And we need to live soberly, awake, and attentive. And that happens by focusing on Jesus. That happens by letting Jesus bring clarity in the midst of chaos. Now, to the practical end of this, as a church, as Grace Church, as a group of believers, what does that mean? Well, we want, it means that we want to prefer those who are the most success, susceptible to this. And not just susceptible physically, but also economically. Those who work in service industries, travel industries, those who work... Uh, who cannot work remotely, who can't stay at home on their laptop and work, but have to show up every day and come in contact with those who are sick, our teachers, our healthcare workers, our service workers. We want to prefer them. We want to honor them. We want to support them in ways we can, as, long, as well as those with immunocompromised systems. We want to make sure that they are safe, they are secure, they are taken care of, they are valued in this. We also want to be witness and give witness to our concern for the most vulnerable outside. It isn't just about us. It isn't just about taking care of us in Grace Church. This is about taking care of our neighbors, taking care of those around us, taking care of those who have no church, no faith. It doesn't matter. This is the time we need to be reaching out to our neighbors. Maybe not in close physical contact or proximity, but we have plenty of ways to reach out to those we know who may not have the support of a church and offer them the help that we can. It's also going to mean more coordination and communication. Please sign up for the alerts, the Grace Church alerts on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Read the emails that we send out. There will be more emails to make sure that people are getting the information. Know the avenues for responding, for asking things. And use the website. We'll be updating the website regularly. The Catalyst team here, Stacy, Tasha, Alex, Teresa, and myself, will be meeting with increased regularity to respond more quickly to needs and opportunities to make sure everyone's taken care of. We'll be coordinating with the Grace Group leaders to make sure everyone is cared for practically and spiritually. If we share, if we look out for others' needs as equal to our own, we, we have an abundance we have an abundance as a church. No one should be afraid to share and no one should be afraid to ask during this time. We will have more than enough. And finally, I want to say this. If we can have the worship team come back up. You are not alone. In this, we are not alone. We will operate in the opposite spirit that the world demands we operate in, that spirit of scarcity, of fear, tribalism. When the world fears, we will have faith. 
When the world hoards and hides, we will give and show radical hospitality. When the world accuses and denies, we will practice shalom. When the world shrinks and shrivels in selfishness, we will shine and grow with love. Grace Church, we were made for this time. One of those things that sustains us during these times is communion. Now, we can't take it together this morning, but I want to invite everyone at home to take what you have, take the cup that you have, the bread that you have, the cracker that you have, And I want you to hold it. Because these elements are given to us to be remembered. Yes, for us to remember what has been done for us. Yes, to remember the sacrifice, the provision that Jesus has provided. But this morning, whether we're in a cathedral or whether we're on a couch whether we are isolated and alone at home, together with our families or meeting somewhere, we all share from the same table. We all drink from the same source, the same cup. We all eat from the same body, the same loaf. See, on that last night when Jesus was with his disciples, he took the bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body given for you. And then he took the cup said, this is my blood poured out for you. Do these things in remembrance of me. And so as we take these things now, we do it refocusing once again on Jesus, who brings clarity in the midst of chaos. So take and eat and drink.